Hi, everyone. It's Carly. Before we get into the show today, I want to give a very warm welcome to someone we haven't had on the show in a while, but who is back to nine to five ish full time after being on paid family leave. Drum roll, please. It's Danielle. I was going to be really confused if it was someone else. Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be back. (laughs) I have a special guest sitting on my lap for this intro. Do you want to say hi? Uh Oh, doggy. Okay. Yes. He said, uh oh, doggy. He dropped his doggy. Uh oh. I am thrilled to be back and to have some really great, interesting conversations. Uh, let's get into it. So I never once thought this was a systemic issue. I never once said to myself, oh, Danielle may be suffering from the same thing. Like I wasn't thinking that way. I was just thinking, I'm a complete and resolute failure because I worked so hard for my degree. And now I want to quit. I want to give up. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice. And we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Today, our guest is New York Times bestselling author Eve Rodsky. After attending Harvard Law School, Eve spent the first few years of her career as a corporate lawyer. But eventually, she found that her true passion was in philanthropy. And she spent more than a decade advising families and foundations on their philanthropic efforts at J.P. Morgan and at her own company, Philanthropy Advisory Group. Aside from her philanthropy work, Eve is best known as the author of Fair Play, which teaches couples how to rebalance the unequal and often invisible labor done at home. Eve published another book in 2021 called Find Your Unicorn Space, which goes a step further than fair play. It teaches women how to regain satisfaction in their lives by exploring their creative self-expression. Eve, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle and Carly. We're going to warm you up with a lightning round and then we're going to dive into it. I want to sort of preface, we met you at a conference this past summer. And you are the last speaker of the day. I've never seen so many people be captivated. So I want to just preface all of this by saying you guys are in for a treat today and to listen. We're going to try to do the least amount of talking. But first, we have to do my favorite part, which is the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is like your, you're having a bad day. What's the movie you put on that makes you laugh? When Harry met Sally. Who would play you in a movie? Naomi Watts. Is Naomi Watts going to play you in a movie soon? <laughs> uh, not yet. Not yet. But uh, we'll manifest okay. that out there in the world. But maybe. Maybe. Maybe we'll plead the fifth. Okay. <laughs> what is your go-to ice cream flavor? 1,000%. It has to be soft serve. It has to be full of a million toppings. Typically, I do Lucky Charms, just the marshmallows on the bottom, if possible. I pick them out. And then it's a swirl. And then on top would be rainbow and chocolate sprinkles with fruity pebbles on top. I really appreciate the specificity here. Yes. You you can say I eat a lot of ice cream almost every day. So what time do you get up? Well, depends. I'm a night person. So under my normal circadian rhythms, I wouldn't be getting up till noon. So that's one of the reasons that parenting is 
extremely hard for me. So I, I try not to get up, but kids usually wake me up around 7.30. What's your unicorn space? My unicorn space is really, I'd say, writing and reading and lifelong learning. But lately, I've been learning to play the guitar, which has been so fun. Ooh. So I'm trying to do a little home recital by the end of November. Oh, my God. I love that. What a cool thing. Is that like a pandemic, like, hobby? Yes. I like to dance. And this summer, I was with my kids where we stay in the summer. And I fell at night. So everybody thought I was drunk, but I'm just really clumsy. <laughs> and I broke my knee. I fractured. I did two micro fractures in my knee. So then I couldn't really dance anymore. And I decided that guitar was like dancing with your fingers. So it's, um, oh, sorry, that sounded a little bit like porn, but yeah. So like, <laughs> no, I yeah, was gonna, exactly. that sounded beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's dancing with your fingers. And, and I, I thought I liked the percussive nature of it and combining chords is similar to choreography. Um, in my mind. So it was the closest thing I could get to dance. Okay. Our last lightning round question today is who is in your group text? Uh, oh my gosh. Well, it depends, right? It depends on whether it's the, like, what's the most used group text? You have? Yeah. I would say nasty women, my nasty women group <laughs> text. And that's my group text where we share everything that we're doing politically. And right now, obviously it's, it's pretty active, especially around access to abortion. How often do you participate in that text? Probably every day. Okay. I send a lot of skim stuff. You guys are amazing. Thank you for Thank your civic you. engagement. Thank you. And your I'm asking because as we transition into to what you do, I notice my husband has a lot of time to participate in group text chains all about fantasy football. And Oh, by the way, Danielle, you know, I had, I had no text chains. 10 years ago. Yeah. So okay. just remember that Thank you. I've been playing fair I've been playing fair play for a decade now and what we're doing is we're going to be giving listeners a 101 to something that really and I I, I it deserves a trigger warning and I will say in the conference that I spoke at that you we got to meet which was so wonderful I realized that I did not do a trigger warning to this work and often it needs one because we're talking about things that sound so trivial but really what we're talking about here are things that are going to probably make you feel very uncomfortable at some point during this conversation. So let's get into it. And I think before we understand your work and, and kind of the awareness that you've raised, it's really important just to kind of set the stage and tone of what was your childhood dynamic? Like what was the house environment that you grew up in, kind of the family structure? Just tell us how, how did Eve become Eve? <laughs> That well, I think what I was alluding, no, it's, I love your interviewing style. And I was listening to some of your earlier episodes and this is a unicorn space. So let's just preface this. You, what Danielle and you, Carly are doing here, this is a unicorn space. And we'll talk about what that means later. But what I said, and, and you, you heard me say this, Carly, it's not like I set out to be an expert on the gender division of labor, right? That wasn't on my like wall when I was in third grade, when I said I probably wanted to be a veterinarian, but what was happening to me back then was, you know, they always say research is me search. And at the end of the day, this topic that we're going to be talking about today about what it feels like to have the last frontier of equality be ironically in the place closest to us, our homes, really started for me by being the parental child of a single mother, Carly. And so it was living in a single mother household. It was recognizing that from second grade on, my father had left and I had a disabled younger brother. We lived on Avenue C and 14th Street. 
And we would get eviction notices every week, every month. And I just, I felt a completely unsafe as early as the second grade. And I knew I had to help my mother. And that was the mode I was in since I was eight, was how do I help her? And part of how I helped her was to help me feel safe in my own life, which was to organize, create systems, help her pay her bills. I remember we had this chemical bank checkbook that I would help her. I would say, come on, mom, it's time to write our checks so that we don't miss our rent. I had a uh, like a world wildlife free calendar in my room and I'd circle when rent was due. I mean, this was happening as early as, like I said, eight, nine, especially as I entered my early teenage years and I had to take care of my younger brother too. What do you mean by safety? What I mean by safety is that I think when your whole world feels out of control around you, you do things that can create some semblance of control in your own life. And look, that could be very poorly adaptive responses, right? Like numbing yourself through your life. A lot of my friends, when we were 12, 13, were already addicted to many different substances. We were out on the streets, you know, raising ourselves. But for me, it was an, a, a knowledge that I could get out. I could get out if I use my education. And remember, I'm resolutely Gen X. So nobody talked about gender at all. We just talked about the American dream right? If I go to Stuyvesant, if I get all A's, if I can get a scholarship to Michigan, which I did, and lots of loans, lots and lots of loans that I'm still paying off today. But it was this idea that I could be anything I wanted to be, Danielle. Um, Gender was never talked about. I could be anything I wanted if I just put my head down and escaped through through education, which is what I did. I'm going to bring us in a little time capsule to more present day. You grow up, you go to a fancy law school, you get that degree that puts you into a lot of student debt, you work in the corporate job, you go to the nonprofit job, you start your own business with a co-founder and consulting, and you start a family. You get married and you start a family. And when we were at that conference this summer and you're telling this story, you begin to tell this story of you went back from maternity leave, you go on your first flight back on a business trip and something happens that seems almost innocuous. So I want you to kind of share, share the story of your husband's text and what happened. Well, I think the context for all of us, right, is that we grew up in this time where women could smash the glass ceiling, where we were said, what do you have to complain about? Women are graduating from college more than men. You can do anything a man can do. And that's fundamentally, fundamentally a lie. And so growing up under that context and then realizing that real life has nothing to do with any message I had been told was the biggest and most depressing disappointment of my life. And that all came to a head after my second son was born. I was still working at a corporate job when I asked for flexibility and my, my employer said, absolutely not. You should not have direct reports. Your lactation space is going to be a broom closet. It was the emotional abandonment from my employer. And then on top of it, the story of Seth, Seth telling me that I could do this all. I could start my own firm. I could start over and feeling like I had his support until one day I leave for my first trip on my own in my own law firm. And I like to say that he sends me a text at 7 a.m. 
that morning. And that text said, some guy left his jacket and beer bottle on our lawn. And I remember Carly and Danielle thinking to myself, what the fuck am I supposed to do about that from the road? And so I ignored that text and I had the best day because it was the first time in my life I felt like my childhood, back to what you asked me about reclaiming safety, Danielle, the safety as an adult felt like, well, I could do this on my own. I can start my own business. If uh, the world doesn't want me as a mother, the way I need to be wanted at this point. So I started my own law firm. I go to this client trip. I have this great day. And the thing that was so hard about that day, which really woke up, opened my eyes to what was going to be there the rest of my life if I didn't do something, was that when I came home from that trip, 16 hours later, working with this family where I'm a lawyer, I felt so proud of what I did with that client. I bring grace and humor and generosity to all of their complex organizational and financial decisions. I felt so proud of myself. But the thing that woke up my eyes to the inequity of my life at that time was that the Jack and beer bottle, they were still there when I got home at 1130 that night. They were still there. And I will say one thing. I want to just say that I said this to you and I really believed it. I gave Seth the benefit of the doubt because I really, assumed, your husband. you know, yes, I gave Seth the benefit of the doubt because I figured, you know, he was probably dead. <laughs> and he was not dead. No. Not dead. He was not dead at all. Alive. He actually, I said, he happily told me he had three hours after our kids went to bed to watch Sports Center, answer those text chains around fantasy football, Danielle, um, and uh, work out. Plenty of time, you know, to decompress from his, his long day, but not enough time, apparently, to pick up a jacket and beer bottle he found on our lawn 16 hours earlier. There's so much I want to talk about, and we only have so much time. Can you just skim, what does fair play mean? Fair play means everything. You start to unpeel and unpack everything that you think is unfair. Anything that you're worried about for women, you unpack. And what you realize, it all comes down to fair play. It comes down to this radical notion, Danielle and Carly, that women are allowed to be something other than our roles that we are allowed to be something other than being defined as a parent in relation to another being, as being defined as a partner to help our partners in their worlds, to be defined as a professional. So what fair play is to me is recognizing that until we start to invite men, men, and this is a gendered issue, until we invite men to step into their full power in the home, and they start picking up the fucking drunk guy's jackets and stop sending us, this is on you text. And women stop believing that they have to have it all. They have to do it all. That has to stop. We have to interrupt that before any of the other issues we care about can even fundamentally be addressed. So tell us about the evolution from that moment on how fair play came into being. So I never once, Danielle, thought this was a systemic issue. I never once said to myself, oh, Danielle maybe is probably suffering from the same thing and Carly's suffering from the same thing. Like, I wasn't thinking that way. I was just thinking I'm a complete and resolute failure because I worked so hard for my degree and now I want to quit. I want to give up. I never even thought that Seth would be part of my solution. And one other story that I think 
is really important to where I came to with Fair Play was the best day of my life probably was at this breast cancer march with nine other women that were the head of stroke and trauma at Cedar sinai and an Oscar-winning producer. And finally seeing at noon of this breast cancer march, it was a Saturday morning. I never would have noticed this, Danielle. But what I noticed was, because this is, I had had the drunk guy's jacket experience and another experience with Seth and another experience with Seth, was that at noon, every one of those strong women that use their voice in every other aspect of their life were silenced. By noon, every single one of us was on our phone responding to texts like, where did you put Hudson's soccer bag? What's the address of the birthday party? If you want me to go, you better have left me a gift. When's the babysitter coming? You know, you left me alone all morning. Um, my favorite, my favorite, favorite text that I screenshot was a, a text from my friend Kate's husband that said, do the kids need to eat lunch? <laughs> But I think the hardest part that day was recognizing that every woman, every woman left me. Carly, Danielle, they left. They did not stay and say, I'm turning off my phone. They looked at me and said, Eve, thank you for continuing the day through a lunch in downtown LA. But we left our partners with too much to do. And those women, those beautiful, powerful women went to go bring a perfectly wrapped gift to a birthday party find Hudson's soccer bag and feed their kids lunch. And I got so sad. My first communal act of resistance was that day where I counted up. I said, if you're going to leave me, you got to give me some data. How many phone calls and texts have we received? We had 30 phone calls and 46 texts for 10 women over 30 minutes. I think a natural instinct is for defenses to go up and to be like, well, I have a really supportive partner. Or the partner to be like, do you know, like, I do these things for you. And we equally do the grocery shopping and equally pick up the kids, etc. I think it's really important to kind of address that, that like, this isn't about an attack on men. This isn't, and specifically I'm saying men, and this isn't necessarily an attack on people's, if you're in a happy relationship, nobody's saying that you're not happy. But I think what I find really fascinating about this is at the scam, especially we've talked now for as we enter your year three of the pandemic of the the double shift that women have held at work and performed at, performed at work and home in the pandemic and how that's forced them, many of them to leave the workforce altogether or to experience major burnout, which is a trauma to the system. Yeah. So can you connect the dots for us around how to know that's happened to women and many of us have experienced that in the last two plus years and what fair play is about. Yes. Okay. So let's go to the fun part, right? I'm not telling you how to live your life. I would never do that. What I'm telling you is that there is a secret formula. There is actually a secret formula for thriving. And I've seen it now in it for a decade. What the secret formula is, Carly, is it's boundaries, systems, and communication. That's what fair play is about. And so what do I mean by boundary systems and communication? Well, I think the question you're asking about, well, my house is fair, right? I mean, it's this is such a personal issue that anytime we talk about the home, because everybody has their own family structure, whether it's an LGBTQIA structure, a single mother structure like my household, or a hetero cisgender partnership that may feel fair or not fair, 
everybody has their own lens in which to process these things. So what I want to say is what fair play is about is not saying that you have to change anything that's happening in your own lens. But what it is saying is that lens is colored. And so when we can actually see the, you know, we can wipe the glasses off, the fog off. What we see is that those boundary systems and communication have to be there so that we don't lose 40 years of women from the workforce. We don't see women getting sick. So what do I mean by that? So how do I connect fair play to all these big themes? Well, actually, it's really just one important, the most important question to connect fair play to these big themes, because I really thought it was going to be the shit I do spreadsheet. I had a shit I do spreadsheet, Carly and Danielle. I thought a list would save me. It didn't. It took me nine months. It turns out when you think about these issues, they have a name, right? We've heard of the second shift or emotional labor, the mental load, but those are so abstract. They're so abstract. So I decided, well, what if I didn't make them abstract? What if I asked those women at the Breast Cancer March and women all over the country that mirrored the U.S. census in terms of socioeconomic status? And then in 17 countries, my study now spans 10 years in 17 countries. What if I asked them, what do you do that's invisible to your partner? And you watch women's labor force participation come down. Wow. What was the thing? Yes. What was the thing that was most invisible work? Like one thing that you felt? Well, there was 98 tabs. That's what was so shocking but wait, to I'm me. I'm just curious. Like what, oh, but well, like, what do I think the most? Like- I'd say the most invisible to me was all of what I call the magic suits. Tooth fairy, gestures of love, picking up the kids when they're sick, the daily grinds that women resolutely. I'm literally listening to you. My heart is racing because I'm like, I changed that Nest thermostat and right. nobody knows. Nobody knows. I run that damn thermostat so well. That's <laughs> right. Well, that's it. You. <laughs> there, there were 98 of these things, all everything yeah. from medical and healthy living. There were obviously the things like people just reporting to dishes and laundry. It is so much deeper than that. But this is the beauty and the sad part. So what I found in my study then actually mirrored the data, which is that, Carly, this gets back to your question. Men overreport what they do by two thirds. Women underreport what they do. So this gets back to that, well, we both do it. Well, if you're both doing it, and I'm hearing that all over the world, then why are women burning out? So what I realized was to get to the core crux of the system that I wanted to build with Fair Play, which is based again on 50 years of organizational science that I use for my workplace, it was to ask the most important question I ever asked. And that question was, What would happen if we treated our homes as our most important organization? What if our homes were our most important organization? And so when I asked that question, then I could apply all the organizational science. And what we know, and this was funny, one man said to me, well, my home, Eve, is where we wait to decide who's taking the dog out. We know that people don't apply systems in their home. And so you know what happens, Danielle and Carly? They make the same decision every single day. They make the same decision. What are we eating for dinner every single day? Instead of having a system to say on Mondays, we have pasta every single day. They make the same decision every day by saying, who's going to take the dog out before it takes a piss on the rug? Instead of saying on Tuesdays, Danielle takes the dog out. It's so strange. If I worked for you and I walked into your office, Carly, and said, hey, what should I be doing today? I'm just going to wait here till you tell me what to do. You would kick me out of your office. People don't bring that intention to their home lives. And once I realized that, I said, okay, I could absolutely solve for this. And that's what fair play is. Fair play is solving 
for the fact that we have decision fatigue because nobody believes their home is their most important organization. There are a few things I want to make sure that we get to that have been my personal experience coming back to work after having my second kid, having a partner that I would describe as actually very supportive, but also waking up every single morning really fucking tired no matter how much sleep I got. And you explained to me why I'm so tired. And that was like a light bulb in my head. And I want to have you explain this phenomenon of no matter how much sleep I get, why do I wake up feeling like I'm always a half step behind? Well, I think this gets back to the systems piece. And this is why there's actually a solution. And this is why we were so tired. Because at the end of the day, you can't have boundaries if you don't even understand the boundaries you're asking for. And so I'll tell you the boundaries we're asking for. The boundaries we're asking for are not, hey, can you take out the trash? Can you pick up Jack from school because I have a work call? That's not the boundaries we're talking about. The second most important question that I ever asked after is our home our most important organization, what was really happening? What was happening from a data science perspective was that Anytime I said, back to Carly's observation, who does groceries in your home? I would hear, we both do. Who takes the kids to school? We both do. Who plans the kids' birthday parties? We both do. And I was like, oh my God, I can't get any data. So I started to ask a different question that now I've asked, like I said, in 17 countries. And that was how I finally got to the data I needed to design the system. And that question was, how did mustard get in your refrigerator? Because when I was able to break it down with the organizational management steps that I would use in my workplace, I said, oh shit, in 17 countries, women married to men were saying they were the one noticing their second son, Johnny, likes yellow mustard, not Dijon, and otherwise he won't eat any protein. In 17 countries, women were the one telling me that they get stakeholder buy-in for what the family needs on that list and that they monitor the mustard for when it runs low. And then in 17 countries, they told me that their partner gets involved by going to the store. But then, as you heard me say, they, they bring home spicy Dijon every time. And then Eve, how can I trust him with my living will? How can I trust her or they with my living will? They can't even bring home the right type of mustard. So what happens when one person holds the conception, the noticing, and the planning, the stakeholder buy-in, the monitoring, and then gives execution to somebody else? That is called control and no context. We're not doing that anymore in organizational management. When you go to the control aspect of one end of organizational planning, trust is the opposite of control. And so when you're having to control the cognitive labor and someone's helping you with execution, you will never get a good night's sleep. So the other thing that I'm seeing that connects directly to your work that I, I just feel like knowing our listeners are either struggling with this and don't know it, or certainly as I do have have friends and family who do this, which is they take on all of the things, they take on all of the cards, and it's almost kind of like a martyrdom. And that's when I start to see people on a path to getting sick or to not taking care of themselves. So for people listening, What's kind of your message for, for that, that type? 
what I will say about that martyrdom is that the term like maternal gatekeeping and martyrdom always bothered me because again, it was blaming women because at the end of the day, since birth, we've been conditioned to believe that men in our society deserve that their time be guarded like diamonds and that women's time be treated like infinite, like sand. So it's very easy to become a martyr if you don't believe your time is as valuable as your partner's and you've been conditioned since birth to believe that men's time is more valuable. And if you don't believe me, one day you'll hear in your life that breastfeeding is free, even though it's an 1800 hour a year job. You'll see when women enter professions that salaries automatically go down than if they're male professions. We see all around us that our time is not valuable. And then if you don't really believe me, call 50 schools like I did. I called 50 schools for fair play. And I asked all of those schools, why do you call women when kids are sick? And the answer is we can't bother men. That is the way we live and we breathe in the society. And we have to change that. When women believe our time is diamonds, that's when martyrdom will also cease to exist. We have... Um three questions that I want to make sure we get to quickly. So I'm going to just rapid fire them for you. I want to talk about your other book, Find Your Unicorn Space. You found that women are still dissatisfied even after achieving more equality with their partners because then they don't have time for creative self-expression. What did you discover about the unicorn space? What was happening was I was seeing that if women were getting time back they were saying things to me like, should I have another child? Should I work harder and go for that extra promotion? Which again, is great. But there, there was no understanding and self-awareness that we are allowed to be anything, <laughs> that we are allowed to be un- unavailable from our roles. And that was what was really alarming me. We know that when we have experiences of happiness and meaning, that those are the experiences, Carly, that change our lives. We also have times in our life where we have meaning without happiness. That's associated with caregiving. Once we become parents, there's a lot of meaning in raising my kids. Not a lot of happiness when my son, Ben, says, I've fallen out of love with you, right? Or I get ninja kicked (laughs) in the face by my daughter and she breaks my nose, which literally happened four years ago. So what women don't have often is experiences of happiness and meaning together when those collide. And that consistent space to be interested in our own lives is often what's missing in our mental and physical health. And that's why it was so important to me. I felt like I had to write a whole other book about it. Okay. I want to go to this listener question from Alexis because I love this question and I'm so glad she asked this. Alexis says, I'm single. I have no kids and I am a few years into my career, AKA I don't have major responsibilities yet. What is one practice I can implement now to avoid feeling like I have no time to explore my creativity in the future when I might have more responsibilities? Oh my God. I love that question so much. So this is the secret. Back to the fact that Fair Play actually has a secret formula of boundaries, systems, and communication. I'm going to say to your listener, there is a secret here. This is how you will know that you're occupying a unicorn space. You will have experiences in your life where you will say, I can't believe I just did that. Not, I can't believe I just did that, right? Not the regret, but the, I can't believe I just did that. And so the way to start is always by saying the most important thing, it's the oxygen mask metaphor, is to keep your own initial on your neck. 
to remember that you have a name. You are Danielle. You're Carly. You're not someone's mother. You're not someone's founder. You are a human and you deserve that time to be interested in your own life. And we need experiences outside of our roles of parents, partners, professionals, outside of those roles. The three C's of unicorn space are curiosity, connection, and completion, and then consistency. And what I would say to your listener is just pick one. Pick one every week, every month to focus on. Maybe it's completion this week because you have 17 projects that you haven't finished. Maybe it's connection because you're feeling lonely. You're working too hard. You have too many responsibilities. Or maybe it's just curiosity where you say, I haven't wondered about it. One woman said to me, I haven't wondered about anything other than why my baby's poop is yellow in, in five years. What a so, beautiful way to end our podcast. Curiosity, connection, <laughs> completion. Okay, I've got one one note to end on. So Eve, I want to tell you, I went to my son's preschool parents teacher night the other week and I introduced myself and I said, hi, I'm Gabe's mom. And I looked down at my necklace and it's a big, it, it's my kid's initials. But what I realized in that moment was I was starting down a path of exactly what you said. And I love how you say wear your own initial because it's a good way to remind yourself of that. And I feel like for anyone that's listening, like this is something I'm, I'm actively struggling with. And I have a great life partner, um, Carly. I have a great husband. <laughs> I've got a great family and this shit is hard. And so Eve, thank you. Thank you for, for all of your work. Thank you. What a treat to talk to you today. Thank you both so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. 